All right. Well, Nick, thank you so much. We're recording. Thank you so much for being here today on A Courage Experiment. I think today is our uh, my 19th uh, episode, 18th or 19th episode. I'm not sure which, but I'm super thankful to have you here with me today. Um, I got to say, like, this is one of like the most kind of uh, this is like I'm nervous today. And, and, and the only reason why I'm nervous is because normally when we do these podcasts, I send, especially with a, a, a game commission or a, a, a state agency, I'll send a battery of questions and then normally they send them back and it's usually like not a big deal if we stay on task. But for this particular one, it, it, I, I, full disclosure, we have to kind of stay on task with our questions because of the subject matter, mm -hmm. right? And um, you are the Mexican wolf biologist for the state of New Mexico, correct? Correct. And can you tell me, we'll get into your background in a second, but sure. since we've been talking for, it, it, it seems like almost a year, <laughs> at least like six months or something along those lines, why it took so long for us to get together? Yeah, it does seem about about that long. I've talked to you more on the phone recently than I have some of my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying to make this happen. Yeah, um, it's a combination thing. Uh, a lot of stuff comes up with the wolves, and I've been busy, and um, we've just been kind of having things going on in the in the field, but. I think the main reason why it took so long, like you were saying about just sending questions to to former interviewees um, is the, the controversial nature around, around wolves and what we want to convey with them and some of the delicacy around, around those, those questions. So um, yeah, you, you've sent me those questions. I, I had them approved by, by the agency, um, got carried away with doing stuff out in the field Questions came back, and then I didn't realize that answers all my answers had to also <laughs> be evaluated too before we we made anything happen. So, um, been excited about it for a long time, but for for those, I think kind of uh, give it some thought, give it some time. Let's see see how we think you know feel about these questions. Um, I think people needed to get get comfortable with with that first. So glad we could be finally doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Why do you think the wolf is so, I mean, for, I mean, there's some obvious reasons, but why do you think the wolf is so controversial? Do you think it's just New Mexico or do you think it's, um, in the lower 48 in general? Like what, 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 why are they so controversial? Uh, there's just so much political charge to, to wolves, certainly. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of management that goes into wolves. There's a lot of um, a lot of uh, just thoughtfulness that needs to go into what you're you're saying. And and people hold these people hold wolves in a in a pretty big high regard, right? And so there's a lot of a lot of feelings and a lot of um, different sides of how people how people feel about about wolves. Um, and yeah, they, they can managing wolves is is tricky business, um, especially out here in, in New Mexico and 
over in Arizona with the Mexican wolf. Um, they they operate in the landscape where cattle are are pretty well um, established. So mm-hmm. um, multi multi use forest service um, things like that where where there's just a lot of moving parts, a lot of things to consider, um, and introducing a predator into that uh, just really really gets everyone's opinion um, ready to be <laughs> talked about. Right, right. Um, glad you mentioned that, introducing a predator. Uh, as far as the history of uh, this particular species of wolf, um, the Mexican, are we going to discuss just the Mexican wolf or are we going to discuss wolves in general? What, what is your, your expertise? Is it more with the Mexican wolf or do you manage the, the is it the gray wolf? The gray wolf, yeah, yeah. Um, here in, in the southwest is specifically the Mexican wolf. Um, so that's a subspecies of the, of the gray wolf. Um, I have worked with gray wolves before this job and have some history with them too. Mm-hmm. Happy to get into some of that as well. But sure. professionally, most of my time has been spent on the Mexican wolf program. Gotcha. And the differences, the big differences between the two, I've read a little bit, um, but you know, as you being the specialist, what are uh, kind of the big takeaways between the two species, the gray wolf and then the subspecies, uh, Mexican wolf? Uh, yeah, so how is, the, how is the Mexican wolf different from gray wolves? Right. Yeah, so um, much smaller. Uh, Mexican wolf, a big male, is about 80 pounds. Hmm. Big female is about 60 pounds. Wow. Um, so I've heard wolves down here be explained as about German shepherd size, which is about right. So, and a big coyote can look like a, like a smaller wolf. Um, so kind of that large coyote sized, whereas your, your Rocky mountain wolves up North, um, great lakes wolves can be much bigger, 120 pounds, you know, hundred pounds, somewhere around there for, for a female. Um, yeah, and the Mexican wolf is, is distinct from gray wolves, sure, in that size distribution like we talked about. So Mexican wolf is only down here in the, in the western part of New Mexico, the eastern part of Arizona, um, and some populations extending down into Mexico as well. Um, and so that's just that, that function of them being down here is is I don't know how deep I want to get to go back into the kind of natural history of them, but um, they're originated from old world canids coming over from the land bridge. So there is essentially these kind of invading waves of, of, a, of a canine, an ancestral canine that came over into North America. When you say, not to interrupt you, but when sure. you say canine, you mean dog? Dog, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Canids, canine. Yeah, canids okay. is kind of the quick hand version of that. Okay. Um, so this this ancestral canid came over from the old world across the land bridge and was kind of retained down here um, in what is now Mexican wolf kind of country. So there's these three three waves where the Mexican wolf is thought to be kind of the first one to stay down and over 
evolutionary time, they specialized and kind of um, distinguished themselves so that they were specialized for down here. So we call it the Mexican wolf now is the, the subspecies of the gray wolf. Mm-hmm. So it's Canis lupus is the gray wolf. And then the subspecies off of that lupus is Bailei for the Mexican wolf. I see. So Canis lupus Bailei being kind of retained down here. And then that second wave was kind of the Plains wolves, Great Lakes wolves nowadays, kind of this big, big swath across across the middle section of the country. And that's Canis nubilis. And then that last invasion of the canid that specialized was kind of the Rocky Mountain wolf, northern Canadian wolf up mm-hmm. into up into the north kind of country up there. So that's um, Canis uh, lupus occidental, occidentalis. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, what we have down here is this distinguished canid from from the gray wolf, subspecies off of the gray wolf called Canis lupus bailei. Um, so size distribution is, is another way it's distinguished. Um, and then coloration of, of the Mexican wolf down here. You get grays and phases of grays in gray wolves, blacks, whites. Um, so you get those kind of different pelages there. Mm-hmm. And the Mexican wolf is just, they just call them gray, but they're kind of a, I always describe them as like a three, three colored, tawny, kind of rusty, three toned color thing. Like, so they get black and cream colored and rust and they're real pretty. Yeah. Um, they're beautiful. I've yeah, seen them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that size, that distribution, that, that, um, coloration and then. Yeah, not so much diet. If I if I think start thinking about what they eat, you know, um, they're pretty they're specialists that also generalize. So they we talked a little bit ago before we got started about elk and how elk are just kind of the the main food source of of Mexican wolves. That's the same for gray wolves too, you know. But we don't have things like moose and caribou where uh, our Prey populations don't overlap, you know, quite as um, varied as as gray wolves up in Alaska might, where they've got you know just different different resources to to draw from there. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, size, color, um, and when they came over, it sounds like too. So I've read that they're the rarest species of wolf and then i've also read that um or you just told me that they're basically the first right the first wave of wolf for for the for the u.s Mm -hmm. uh, was the mexican wolf so the rarest and the first breed or or species of wolf in the lower 48 correct that's correct yeah wow pretty cool yeah pretty cool yeah endangered down here um so they still retain that oh they're still endangered yeah that federally they have that federal endangered status to them. Okay. Um, gray wolves elsewhere, uh, state by state, I think it's different, but um, Mexican wolf has always been been endangered since its since its recovery program began. Okay, so interesting. Uh, so I was wrong in I, in reading that they 
in 2022, there was like a, a revision yeah. to the wolf plan. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is what I've read and tell me if I'm wrong. There was a revision to the, to the wolf plan in that they went from endangered, this is what I read, from endangered to threatened and then uh, a thought about being delisted. Is that true or no? I'm not sure um, what category or status it fluctuated back and forth between. I, I, I believe it's always been endangered. Okay. Um, yeah, that revision came out recently. Uh-huh. Uh, the initial document was 82, I believe. Fish and Wildlife had the, the reintroduction manual, if you will, and they revised that recently. Um, and that, that, that revision it addressed a lot, but I think for the sake of kind of where we're at now and, and how, how wolf recovery looks, um, that revision addressed the number, uh, the population number, um, the genetic criteria needed for recovery, um, and then and kind of where we were at with that. And, and that initial document was, I think, a little more tailored to, you know, we were doing well for a while. Now we've been doing doing good. The numbers have been going up. We've had expansions. Um, we're starting to have a good eye on, on, our, on our goals and, um, you know, have, have our sights set on accomplishing them. And so... That new revision just addressed kind of where we're at and any changes that need to be made. So mm, I see. So it's still kind of cooking there, like mm-hmm. trying to figure that one out as to where. How do you know? Like, how do you know how many there are? Is it more aerial surveys, or do you are there a lot of them collared or tagged or mm-hmm. or a combination of the two? Yeah, a combination of the two. Um, so we currently. <laughs> Um, just started gearing up for our, our annual count. Okay. Um, and so that's done every, every year and that's done as a common in a combination of ground count. So we'll do, um, starting November 1st is kind of when we hit the clock on that. We'll do ground counts of, um, packs that we know of, know of in the sense that they wear collars. Um, we kind of know their, their territories so we can, through things like place cameras, um, track counts in the snow. It's always a, a helpful one. Um, and then we, we, we do that ground count effort. And in the beginning of winter, well, January, late January, um, we will fly and do a count and capture effort for packs that we're interested in. And so I could get get into the capture stuff, um, certainly. But as far as how we know how many there are, we compare our ground counts to our aerial surveys when we're pursuing a pack um, Mm -hmm. with the helicopter. And whatever that higher number is, we go towards that. We we are kind of careful to to say how many there are. So we use language like a minimum count of... I think last year's was uh, 240. I should know that better. I believe it's around 
240. Mm-hmm. And that's... Is that New Mexico? Or that's between the two states. Two states. So I see. Arizona having theirs, New Mexico having having ours over here. Who has more? New Mexico. New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. By how much? Like 60, 40... Uh, yeah, 70, I, think, I think I would think like we'll give Arizona. We'll call them 60, 40. 60, so we 40. got about sixty, and they probably got about forty. But um, okay, we share. You know, there's they go over to Arizona because it's nicer over there in the summer, something like that. Yeah. And they come over from Arizona when it's getting you know. So they go back, and some of them go back and forth, and and uh, yeah, they wolves travel a lot. They've what's got, what's their what's oh, maximum range for like a pack? Um, a pack's a pack's territory is about 150 square miles. Wow! So, um, and there's there's pretty pretty good numbers in the concentrated mostly in the Gila. Um, there's pretty good numbers in there. So, it, for between ground count and then we compare our, our our counts to the to the aerial counts that we do too, and come up with that minimum number. And there's been double digit percentage-wise increases mm-hmm. every year that I've been here. Uh, oh, wow. So they're doing well. Since like 2019, I think they've had like double-digit increases. So okay, doing well. Gotcha. And population's doing well. So we talked about this, you know, you know, t- touchy topics, you know, prior to the, um, the start of the podcast and mm-hmm. what we can and kind of can't talk about. And obviously just because hunters listen to the podcast – you're going to have hunters that are going to say, you know, as not, I wouldn't say, uh, I've heard it more like in Idaho and like, like Colorado and some of those other states of like, Hey, the elk are, or the, the wolves are eating up all our elk or eating up all our, our deer. Um, just because hunters listen, what would you say to somebody that said something like that and said, Hey, you know, there's, there's, there's a problem here. Uh, there, there's too many wolves. Mm-hmm. Not saying that there even is like you know I haven't even heard anybody say that, but just you know being practical as far as hunters go, ranchers go, those kinds of things. Um, could you uh, could you uh, offer anything to that? Yeah, I mean wolves eat eat elk. I think elk, roughly speaking, are maybe eighty percent of of a wolf's diet um, down here in, in New Mexico. Um, and yeah, there's, there's denser concentrations of Mexican wolves in certain areas where there's denser concentrations of elk, elk, wolves are following the, the elk herds around and the Gila's got a, a pretty good herd of them in there. Um, you know, and, and there's, um, you know, I, I can't say that wolves are eating all of the elk out of an area and they're, they're just surplus surplus killing that's not really uh um you know you you can have comments like that and i've been here for 20 years and i'm not seeing them elk i mean wolves might might have had something to do with that i i think that's a very real possibility that depending on where you are and where you've been kind of fortunate enough to get on your your year after year um successful elk hunts and things like that um wolves could have had something to do with with moving them around or the elk could just not be there um Mm -hmm. so i won't deny that that wolves are 
you know, out there just making sure the elk were okay and protecting them from <laughs> the cows or anything like that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, that's, there's a lot of factors there and, and, you know, rightfully so it's, we talked about in the beginning, like kind of that controversy and, and, um, what wolves represent to people, you know, it's a, it's an easy, wolves can be kind of the, uh, an easy reason to, to go in there and, kind of convince people that that's that's what's going on and it might be uh there might not be sure like l- kind of low-hanging fruit type yeah, type of situation for a hunter to say i haven't seen the elk it's got to be the wolves sure right yeah that's a good way to put it and i i mean i've talked to people that have said just that this is where i've been coming for 10 15 years and i saw few elk but i did see a lot of wolf tracks and i i even saw one in my Kid and I were out glassing, and we saw, you know, it looked like a coyote, but it was bigger, and it had this collar on, and, you know, you, you see that, and people get pretty, um, it's it's nice because people are excited to tell you what they saw, and it's always a good thing. I, I always appreciate when people tell me they see wolves, and um, and that's, that's helpful, but uh, the ways that that could be kind of interpreted out there is is anyone's game you know so yeah yeah. Uh, um yeah so i just wanted to get kind of like the elephant out of the room sure at first and just say hey like just because hunters listen you know i'm sure that they they want to hear or just be re- kind of reassured mm-hmm. but it is what it is right it's just kind of like and i could be wrong in in this you know i'm just a lay person but it's kind of like the whole yellowstone thing where they reintroduce wolves and it's actually good in, in a way for the landscape, correct? Yeah, th- that contrast between Yellowstone's wolves and that ecosystem, Yellowstone's essentially like a closed ecosystem. Right. Versus here, multiple, you know, multi-use cattle are, are grazed throughout the Gila. Um, I think putting those two examples side by side is is tricky. There's lots to to tease out of there, but, um, but broadly speaking, wolves as a, um, keystone species. So just, uh, same thing you're talking about, like trophic cascade and then kind of that, mm-hmm. that way of thinking thing, thinking of things. Um, they do serve a role that is proportionate to the ecosystem health of, of their environment. So yeah, that, that concept in Yellowstone is really well, um, really well discussed. And, um, here it's, it's different. It's different because, um, Heal is not a closed ecosystem. There's I'm saying the same thing again here, but there's just so much use. There's so much, um, hunting and grazing and, Thing else that goes on um, within the Mexican wolf experimental population area. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Can you explain that uh, whole trophic cascade or what that, just basically what that is? Sure. Yeah. So that's like a top down type of a way of looking at, at how an ecosystem is, is, is managed. Um, so at the top of, just imagine it kind of like as a pyramid. The top of that, you have predators that are essentially like 
regulating the prey base underneath them. So things like wolves and grizzly bears and, and eagles. A lot of people go into the mammal side of stuff, but, um, you know, there's, there's within other ecosystems, there's also top predators like, oh, I don't know, things in fisheries that kind of help, help that whole watershed start to, to start to be, be healthy. So, um, at the top you have those regulating predators underneath that you'll have, um, things like elk and deer and grazers and browsers and species that go kind of broadly throughout that, that landscape and, um, forage on, on selected resources. And so the idea there is those predators, um, manage those prey underneath them so that what they're eating isn't getting overexploited. Mm-hmm. Um, and then below that, you've got, you know, go all the way from predators down to decomposers in the soil and, and, and just this kind of, um, this loop where you've got just like a, a well-managed area like, like Yellowstone the idea there is with the reintroduction of wolves, um, things like beaver started to, to be preyed upon and watersheds that were previously kind of choked up with beaver sign and dams and things like that were opening up, which gave way to, um, willow composition in, in a riparian corridor or something that, availability of willow was then made available to nesting birds, uh, warblers and, and things like that. And then those birds, you know, got into the insects and they, you know, so it's, it's, there's that kind of thought of things. Um, I don't know what people would say about that with the Mexican wolf. If they would say like, well, look at all the, look at all the, you know, the worms that are coming back because of all these wolves that we've introduced. So I'd have to think on how that would kind of, how I trace that down trophically. But yeah. yeah. Well, it's that, I mean, it's kind of the, uh, it's kind of the broad, broad brush sure. kind of, of approach to that whole thing. You, you explained it very well to me anyway, in that, there's a need, it seems, for everything, right, at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I understood, even though the Yellowstone system is, like, from the way you've articulated that, a lot different from what's happening here because of all the other things that are it's a, being a closed system and everything, it seems anyway that if you didn't have anything to control the ungulate population, elk and or deer population, then they could graze down on a landscape and, you know, uh, cause problems, not just for their own species, but also for the, the bottom species that you, uh, you articulated with beavers and the soil and the willows and the mm-hmm. nesting birds. And so, and I mean, you don't really think about it as, you know, as a hunter anyway, myself, that something like the wolf could really, affect a nesting bird you know Mm -hmm. so and the soil so it's kind of it's interesting to think about that way Mm -hmm. and then from talking with nicole and 
uh, Oren and, and Travis, like the, the ungulate population from what they've told me is really healthy. You know, they're really happy with what they're seeing out there. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like the management here in New Mexico, from what I'm, you know, I'm, of course I'm just a layperson, I'm no scientist, but I, I know more now from doing these podcasts than I ever have. And okay. it seems anyway that from what I'm learning, it's um, you guys do a good job here in management. Now, you talk to s- some hunters, it's, you know, rare. I've been introduced to quite a few now since I've been down here. I'd say like the vast majority are really happy with uh, the big game species and their opportunities from what I've seen. Some people complain because they haven't drawn in a while. I've heard that quite a bit. Yeah, it's probably the wolves that are keeping them from drawing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something. Uh, some kind of low-hanging fruit. We've got to pick something. But, uh, but yeah, it seems... It seems I, I've been really happy in speaking with everybody here and that I've everybody's been pretty... Uh, uh, open and seems honest about like you know what's really going on in the state and the problems like if there's challenges you know they've you know everyone has talked a little bit about some of the challenges mm-hmm. so I'd love to get into that with you what your challenges are but before we do that kind of skipped right over your history and you know working with wolves and what kind of wolves you've worked with kind of just touched on that I kind of wanted to get that whole kind of touchy subject out of not say out of the way but at least addressed to where we're not dancing around it and I feel very confident in that so with that uh what's your I guess the the main question is you know with your background of course if you could put that in there but why wolves they're just they're a real neat critter Um, and that's kind of this silly broad way I've always answered that question um I, I didn't really grow up with fuzzy wolf posters on my bedroom ceiling or have, you know, this 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 direction that I was thinking of of like I I really wanna I wanna get into wolves. Um I I I just kinda I don't wanna say happenstance. I, I certainly pursued it, but um yeah, I guess some background there that led me to where I am now. I, I uh I'm from North Carolina originally and did a lot of growing up in West Virginia. And then people are like, what are you doing in the Southwest? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, went to school in Arizona and in Prescott, which is a great, great little mountain town. Um, had a lot of good influence from that place and, and uh, took, a, you know, took a lot of Arizona with me where, where I went afterwards. And so I graduated and um, I had that kind of standard approach uh, standard course, I guess, after graduating from college of being a seasonal, a technician, a temporary, whatever, just kind of chasing job after job. And, um, it's fortunate in doing that, you know, and getting to go from place to place. So, um, I, I was pretty much content being in the West. I, I really like it out here. And I thought for a long time, I wanted to go back and be closer to family and stuff, but man, when you're doing like cool wildlife jobs that are taking you to new places that you've never been, it just kind of seems like you're, you're just exploring the, you know, exploring life and your, you know, opportunities and adventures and things like that. So, um, it was, it was hard to convince myself to go back, back East. So anyway, I, uh, 
graduated and I, I went into, what did I do first? Oh, I, I actually started with prairie dogs, believe it or not. Hmm. So, um, Arizona Game and Fish offers a uh, internship program to students, recent graduates, and um, right out of school, I did I did some stuff with Prairie Dogs. I was doing occupancy surveys for them across the the northern part of the state, um, and that took me kind of all over the place in, in northern more, uh, northern Arizona. Um, did some bald eagle work, did some Mexican wolf work, kind of just. Temporarily, they have a little like a volunteer position that they opened up, and um, I was fortunate to do that. And uh, left Arizona, went to California, um, did some stuff for the Park Service, did some crosscut saw work. What's that? Crosscut saw. There's old like you push while I pull. Oh. And I'll pull while you push kind of those old, old timey saws. Oh, really cool tool, man. Um, yeah, I was through the park service. They were wanting to treat a wilderness area within the park. Um, and the ecologist there, he brilliant guy. And, um, shout out to Steve. Steve had a good, a good vision there where he wanted to basically treat this wilderness area in preparation for a fire. And just kind of, um, yeah, just treat that area so that infrastructure with town, you know, towns down below and, and um, the watershed <laughs> health was maintained. And anyway, not to get too derailed with that, but that process was neat where I got to be the biologist on, on that saw crew and do my surveys for Cossacks, spotted owls, of course, um, Southern long-toed salamanders and badgers, so pretty, pretty diverse little package of stuff to look for in there. Mm-hmm. What's a what's a saw saw ox? What is he? Gossock. Oh, gossock. Sorry. Yeah. What North, is it? Northern gossock. Oh what man, just a, a mean, mean raptor that lives in very, very dense closed canopy forests. Um, really? How big are they? Uh they're they're kind of close to red tail size. Um, but I, 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 I had to, you know, do these surveys for him, and I, I only saw one over the course of two years. <laughs> so I would come back just, like, kicking, like, man, I don't even think these birds are real. I think they have me just, like, chasing, like, looking around for nothing. And so, but I, I'd never had any experience with them uh, um, that friends of mine had. But when you do surveys for them, you basically make a aggressive – call in their territory and try and elicit this response and their response is like they chase you and try and take their talons to your head and like <laughs> hurt you really yeah so i've had friends tell me they've been on atvs like being chased by a goshawk that is just screeching at them and they've dove off the atv and gotten into the ditch and like covered their head and wow so i was kind of like man maybe it's a good thing i didn't see any of these things yeah. up here <laughs> that's aggressive yeah yeah they're pretty they're pretty mean they got red eyes too adults have like red eyes and it's like kind of pronounced are they are they common yeah. are they pretty common wow no, pretty common they they just live in i mean they're in new mexico too mm-hmm. they just live in those kind of dense dense forested kind of dark places the gila's got them i heard them back in the gila a few mm-hmm. times and stuff like that but um 
Anyway, sorry, get derailed. No, I'm sorry I asked you. I, I, I don't know. I didn't know what that was. No, it's good. I, I, they're no. not. They wouldn't attack you if you didn't make that call, though, would they? Or <laughs> no, yeah, they're just out there, just like wreaking havoc on anybody that looks yeah. at them the wrong way. Like, yeah. They're going too fast, and they attack you on your ATV. That's funny. No, it's yeah, it's that territorial thing that gets them gets them bummed out. So okay. They come out. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I'm sorry, you, sure. you're doing that work, and yeah, so it's I daydream about Northern California and cutting down trees in the wilderness area from time to time. So sorry to get derailed with that. Um, yeah, and I stuck around there for a couple of years doing that. Um, I guess backing up a little bit in 2018, I went up to Yellowstone, did some predation cluster surveys within the park. Um, and so I did that for a couple of months. But, man, any time in Yellowstone just is, is time well spent. So Is that what that sounds like, predation cluster survey? Just basically uh, like clusters of uh, predators? Or? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so That's, predators, and wolves okay. and, and lions, mountain lions. Um, okay. They wore collars. On the map, they would bunch up. Those points would cluster up in a spot, and my job there was to go out and see what they ate. So Yellowstone's got this like fantastic history of records of the health of the bison they ate from, you know, November 3rd to November 9th. And they tend to get into the bison that, you know, just kind of a lot of really special attention in, in, in that, in that area, um, from those, from those, those data. Um, I've never been to Yellowstone. Um, I've, I've heard so many great things, as from a biologist point of view um, and doing that work in Yellowstone, is it really that um, amazing? I mean, is it uh, th that big of a contrast there in that closed system from the work that you do here? Yeah, I'd say it's, 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 <laughs> I may be thinking about this just loosely, but it's like, it's like if you played baseball in the same old field for your whole life and then you got to go to like Wrigley and see like got to play there or something, you know, really? I mean, maybe that's dramatic, but like just that, <laughs> that sense of everything's, everything's there, you know, it's, yeah. it's just kind of got it all. And I've, like I said, I've only been, been a couple of times for short amounts of time, but um, yeah, man, just that availability of, of the ungulates and bison, you know, you know, everyone knows what you get when you go to Yellowstone, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's a cool place. Cool. Like the world series of, yeah. of wildlife. Well, and it's a national park, you know, obviously yeah. too. So it's, it kind of, of course you go in the summertime and there's, there's thousands of people and, and the stories that come out of every summer and things like that. But, um, I got to go in, November about this time until uh, mid-December and you know going hiking to see where a lion stashed a, a deer it killed three days ago and was eating on it like that's not going to be anywhere where you're seeing people and mm -hmm. <laughs> getting access to go hike up in there and find that stuff is, is it's it's cool you know just it's a it's a cool landscape up there Neat, neat. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to keep derailing you, but no, you're, man, you're saying so many, so much cool stuff. No, that's good. So you went did Yellowstone? Yeah, I did Yellowstone briefly, and then um, yeah, Northern California kind of kept me for a little bit, and I 
I went over and worked for California Department of Fish and Wildlife, I think is what they're still called, um, doing some wolf stuff there for a little bit. That got me into COVID, and that was a weird time for everybody, for sure. Um, but there, the gray wolves there, um, so pretty new, new new packs coming into California still, and, and also then. Um, so that was a cool thing to be part of when, when I was, you know, I'm still pretty young in my career, but um, of the wolves you mentioned, the 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 like Canadian, and I, and forgive me if I you know if I butcher this, but you mentioned three waves of wolves that came over, then the Mexican wolf, which seemed like the smallest wolf, mm-hmm. then the gray wolf, and then this the kind of Canadian wolf. And I'm again, I'm just being just in gross terms sure, here, yeah. uh, smaller medium-sized, big, like as in size, and then if, if I'm right in that, and then the wolves that you uh, encountered in uh, California, were those just the gray wolves or were they a combination of the, both of the, the like the bigger wolf and the medium-sized wolf? I, and I, again, <laughs> just correct me sure. on that. Um, so they have gray wolves there in, in California. Okay. So those would be kind of the same, like the same as like Rocky Mountain gray wolves you'd see in in Yellowstone, I see, uh, Idaho, Montana. Um, they're just re what would the term be? I guess recolonizing in in areas. So they're native to those places, not um, haven't really been pronounced enough to be you know managed by people and and paid attention to enough. So, so their comeback into Northern California, um, is, is, uh, it's just new. Mm-hmm. They've always, they've been there historically, but they're starting to find ways into places like Northern California from Southern Oregon is where a lot of them have come. And, um, yeah, I think that, that, that wolves right now are, are, we're kind of in an interesting time with, with wolves in general. Um, we're, we're seeing populations grow. We're seeing, we have better tools to man, you know, better understand where they're coming from, where they're going. Genetics can link a wolf that, you know, was born in a pack in Southern Idaho that journeyed, you know, hundreds of miles into central California and things like that. I forget what the story with that, that wolf in California was that, got a lot of attention about how it traveled and eventually set up in California. Um, came to Arizona, went back to California, you know, so, uh, a particular wolf. Yeah, I think it's, wow. I think it was OR. It's, it's identifier was OR six. I think it was named based on an Oregon individual wolf. Um, but it just had this foray that was like, Wow, you know where's it gonna where's it gonna go next? Uh, male, I believe it was a male. Mm-hmm. I believe it was a male. I should know that better. It's a it's always a interesting one of just the journey of a wolf, and I think that individual wolf is like if you look up, you know, what's the what's the American wolf that that journeyed for so long and then was eventually killed. Um, You'd find that one. I think it's OR6. How, how was it killed? Mm. Hunter or? 
I think it was shot. Was shot. I think it was shot. Hmm. So you're in your journey. You are now in. You're in California. Oh sure, yeah. So, yeah, was in California for a little while, um, and then this job was advertised, and um, I applied and offered the position, and that was October of 2020. Okay, that great. I came back down to Southwest California. I see. Yeah. So, it's not like you. I mean, were you looking for a wolf position or you just saw, wow, this is great. I finally, like, this is, I've kind of been looking for this or that sounds interesting. Or Yeah, I mentioned before, I, I don't think I was really, really dead set on coming back to wolves. I think they're a really fascinating critter. I've always used the word fascinating mm-hmm. in like the truest sense of the word because it just, it has so much, there's so much charge to it. There's so much background and, and all that we could unpack, sure. But I, I just... I had these opportunistic experiences through my seasonal work, seasonal jobs with wolves. Um, and uh, yeah, I found, I found them interesting. I, I thought what they represent is interesting. The places you get to see while you're studying them is, is fascinating. Um, and just kind of the, you know, the, the background of what the wolf represents and, and, um, you know, how we identify wolves as a society and, and things like that. A, a combination of a lot of that just has always kept me interested in them. Um, but I would say I was just lucky enough to to apply and, and <laughs> come back to it. And I, I think I was pretty good at, at the wolf stuff. I think I'm okay <laughs> with what I do now. Mm-hmm. So I think that I, I just um, – I – Notice that I had a had a good knack for getting out there. I like being out there. You've got to kind of be the right person to spend several days out by yourself and kind of thinking like a a wolf out there and figuring out where they are and you know they give you some clues and stuff. So I always found that fun and uh, just enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I was I was getting pretty pretty far down the road of my seasonal stuff there. I. Uh, told myself after about five years of doing this, if nothing seems to be sticking or I've got something permanent, I'd, I'd reconsider what I was doing and kind of come up with a new game plan. And yeah, it was about five years um, come this job that I applied and, and, and started as the Mexican wolf field biologist cool. in 2020. Yeah. Cool. So you've described them as fascinating and and truly so, and kind of in your own words, um, why would you say that? What um, what's in your position? What have you seen um, working with them exclusively now that um, kind of uh, kind of crystallizes that for you? Like what what is it about them? Because we do here. I mean, I you know, as a layperson or somebody who's you know who just loves wildlife in general. You see, you know, anybody sees the uh, National Geographic's or the, you know, the Nova programs or whatever on wolves and documentaries and how, quote, smart they are and how different they are and, again, how fascinating they are. What, in your own words, like, what, what, tell us about a wolf. Yeah, just what makes me interested in them and why. Yeah, and, like, you're, you're, your your personalized work with them kind of like what you've seen to kind of 
reinforce that in that, that they are that special? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm not sure. I think, uh, my experience with, with wolves, um, I mentioned it a second ago. Yeah. They're, they're just, they're a neat critter and, um, they, they're, they just offer this challenge in a lot of different aspects of, of essentially their recovery. Um, and I find that the challenge that's posed by what the wolf represents and how we plan on managing it, um, the conversations that need to happen and, and the agreeable nature that needs to occur or lack thereof, like all of the aspects that go into recovering a predator on a landscape where people are making their, their livelihoods down here from, from livestock producers, hunters, um, you know, just forest users are, are, are a big part of how, um, we need to consider wolf recovery. Um, and I, I just find that that, that challenge is this fascinating exploration of, of how are we achieving our goals and how aren't we achieving our goals? Like what, what can we do to be, be better managers? Um, and it's, it's, it's just this, it's an experiment really. It's this fascinating experiment of like what does and doesn't work. And I find that that investigation of, of, those components is just this, it's this, a very interesting position that I'm fortunate enough to be kind of like, um, I've always sort of thought of myself as like a weatherman in this role of a wolf biologist of like, I, like, I, I think I know what's going to occur with these wolves. I think, you know, people got all the answers and you've, you know, where these wolves are and you know exactly how many and, and, and kind of the people like those neat deliverable answers. Um, but sometimes, sometimes I'm wrong. Like sometimes I'm not sure where that wolf is that was just kind of causing issues over here. And I'm still working on that. Or I'm, there's an uncollared pack of wolves and somebody said they saw them a while ago. Um, and finding them is, is tricky. And so anyway, I think, I think broadly speaking, I find that, um, you know, trying to predict what's going to happen is oftentimes poorly spent <laughs> really? with, with wolves, you know, and, um, so they're unpredictable is what you're saying kind of, yeah, I mean, we have our goals and we have, you know, the, what we're managing towards and things like that. And, and that's showing that we're, we're doing well with, with recovery. But I think personally from that aspect of like, you've got to figure out where these wolves are and you've got to be able to, um, you know, have a conversation around their recovery with somebody who's just lost a, a bunch of cow, two wolves. And, mm. and how do you, how do you, how do you try and help that situation? And that's what I mean by kind of being this, this weatherman aspect of like, this is, 
this is kind of what you're up against as far as what I know. This is what I can tell you. And there's mm-hmm. a lot that I don't know. And wolves are are these interesting canines, these interesting critters that are just keeping you on your toes a lot. And, um, and so I, I think my experience with working with them is fortunate for sure. Um, but it's, it's, it's a huge challenge. And I think that that challenge is, is invaluable to, to me as a person and just kind of the growth I'm getting from working with these, with species is, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you have dogs at home? Currently I don't. You don't? Have no. you, have you ever had yeah. dogs? Yeah. And I've had, I have been without a dog for way too long. I've been talking about getting one for. <laughs> what kind of dog did you have? Uh, the most recent dog I had was a Catahoula in a lab. Okay. Um, and then for that, I had a had a pit bull. And now I'm thinking about getting into bird hunting and want to get a bird dog. And uh, yeah, I need to get a dog, man. I want to get a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Oh, do you? Yeah, I went to go see a litter recently. I just don't have a place for him yet. That's gotta be <laughs> tough to go and look at a litter and then just be like, ah. Uh, no, it was not tough. yet. It was tough, but yeah. it was a, it was like inching into the the pond. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, it was okay. like kind of acclimating, and I kind of wanted one of the dogs, the, the puppies, to choose me. And oh, that's how it can work. You, you right. know what I mean? That's right. what I wanted. I could have, you know, they, they were beautiful. Mm-hmm. I could have chose one or two, whatever. But I wanted one to choose me, but then it didn't happen. And mm-hmm. it, and I realized when I was leaving, I was like, it, that didn't happen for a reason because you're not prepared. You know, you're not prepared yet. Yeah. So, so it was a good thing, but it was, it was that first initial, like, that's definitely the dog that I, I want, you mm-hmm. know, or I would like anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I asked that is because from the dogs that you've had and then you working with wolves, do you see, and you, you, you mentioned that, did you say canids? Mm-hmm. Canids. canids. Yeah. Uh, that's what they evolved from. Do you see like... Are they smart? Do you see a big similarity there? Do you have you worked that closely with the wolves to where you're there's a particular wolf or a particular pack or particular, um, you know, uh, you know, particular wolf maybe that uh, you felt intimate with or or that that felt kind of like that pet like type of um, uh, type of relationship that you've had with dogs in the past. Or is that different? Is it just completely different? I think it's. I think it's different. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Uh, as far as a particular wolf or a pack that I favor or anything like that, uh, I've got ones that have outsmarted me and things on trap lines and stuff like that, or ones that are you know just nice looking wolves and things or or whatever. But uh, no, I don't. I don't think that I've. I feel that same kind of. Mm-hmm. You're you're a dog. You're not a dog. <laughs> you're, yeah. oh, you're, okay. You're, oh, okay. That, so you have you worked with puppies or would you cup? Would you what would you call those? Would you call them pups for wolves? Yeah, yeah pups. Puppies. Have you worked with pups as like uh, come in close contact with pups often? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How's that experience? Is it similar to puppies or? Oh yeah, yeah. I guess <laughs> with. When you put when you put it into puppies, it gets a little <laughs> bit gray there. Yeah, they actually um, 
They have, we know, puppy breath. Oh, they have puppy breath. Wolves have puppy breath. Oh, man, sure. it's not wolf breath. No. It's puppy breath. No, it'd be better just like smelled. I mean, it does smell horrible, but it just smelled like wildly horrible with the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I get to interact with the with the puppies. Um, that must be a little different. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. So I don't know if you want to dive into into puppy stuff, but sure. Okay. I mean, mm. whatever is you know. I just I guess I'm trying to. So when I talk to Nicole about elk, um, or when I talk to Randy in Maine about bears, there's this. Um, they've described kind of like this special nature about the species that they've kind of, I don't know, kind of clicked with and then kind of articulated, hey, this elk are special because of X, Y, Z, and this is why I, I, you know, I'm more partial to elk and I love working with elk because of so-and-so. Just wondering as, you know, you know, because there's so much love for wolves that you've seen, that I've seen out there, you know, I don't know anybody who has a wolf. <laughs> you know, I've had, I've known people who've had kind of hybrids mm-hmm. of wolves. That oh yeah, that <clears throat> that husky has wolf in it, or that's got that right. that's part part wolf or whatever. Um, but I've never you know interacted with anybody who's actually had a wolf. So just wondering like what the similarities are between like a, a wolf and and a dog. You know, and and if you've had any kind of like special interactions because you work so closely with them that you would see them like, wow, they're, they're really special or intelligent or, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, the similarities are, you know, your, your chihuahua is a derivative of an ancestral canine. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, your, your dog comes from, from a wolf, however many, tens, hundreds of thousands of years ago kind of thing. Um, That's so fascinating, though, isn't it? Like, yeah, the chihuahua. Right. I, I like mean, legit chihuahua. Yeah, right. and, <laughs> and how neat is that? Like, we have, I mean, we have meddled with with the genetics of, of a certain animal so much so that we've, like... Whittled made, it. Yeah, made it like, you want, a, you want a dog that can fit in your pocket? No big deal. Like, we'll do it. Um so yeah, you've got like that. That's where you know, and you, mm-hmm. you don't have that with other, you know, you don't have like a cat that's come from, you know, a saber tooth. I'm not entirely sure about all that, but um, anyway, yeah, similarities. Like they 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 have their similarities, and and sure, there are differences too. I think I think wolves. People have hybridized them, like you're talking about, have wolf dogs. Um, and and that's all all fine and things like that, but uh, yeah, mostly the differences I guess are the thing that stand out mm-hmm. with with wolves and domestic dogs now to me. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if I'm getting at your question. No, yeah, you're you're going through there. Yeah, it's, it is. Yeah. Um, if somebody finds that this kind of went over my radar here for a second as I was thinking about the puppies. Somebody like, you know, found a litter of puppies or they were abandoned or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, found a wolf pup or whatever. What would, could, could they, do they turn them in or would they just leave them alone? Don't even mess with it. Or, you know, if you, 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 oh, that wolf pup looks like it needs help or it's by itself or whatever it is. Yeah. You don't mess with it. No. You leave it alone. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. 
you don't take it home and and <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's not a good idea. Is what the advice that I would say to people. So, I mean, I guess my my feeling on that with wolves and and dogs and domesticating and pets and kind of that. You know, I think I think that reverence that people have around wolves, and you know, they got a husky wolf hybrid, and, and that's that's real. You know, but yeah. like the behavior of a of a wolf is is wildly different than a husky or any of those kind of more, you know, tailored to be a working type of dog where the, the need, the biologic need of, you know, a wolf is to, is to just like most wildlife, you know, all wildlife is to disperse, find a mate, reproduce. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, wolves being social creatures, they run in packs. And so, when, when, if you were to, you know, take a wolf home and keep it in your house, like that, that would just be, yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it doesn't want to be there, mm-hmm. but we want it, you know, it's kind of like a whole different so, rabbit hole. Like we want to have this, you know, it's important for me to have this wolf dog so that I can tell everybody I got a wolf dog. Mm. Biologically, it's really... <laughs> It's not great for that animal to, you know, if you had a straight up wolf that you saw as a puppy and gave it some treats and got to come home with you, that might be great for a little while. But I can't say that it would be good for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) You know. It it is still a wolf. Yeah. It's like if you got a bald eagle and you're like, I got a bald (laughs) eagle in that crate over there. I probably doesn't want to be in that crate over there. Right, right. Know? I hope nobody's thinking that I want to do that. I just, no, I just, no, sure it's just not. my thought of like, you know, you, you look at wolves and especially like the quote love that people have for these wolves and yeah. what they'll do for them and, you know, uh, the protection and all that. Sure. You think of a wolf puppy, the normal part of you is like, okay, this is a technically a dog, I guess. Like you'd bring it home and you raised it and then, yeah, it would turn into like my dog. Yeah. But no, it wouldn't actually, right? <laughs> I think it would just like you'd be, I don't know, I would imagine like it'd be your dog and you'd have something going on, like you'd think you're you're onto something with it. And then I think if you're out in the woods, I think one day it would just like... Take off. Smell something and go and run, you know, like, yeah. Or hear take, a wolf howl and be like, okay, it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just break, like that. break your heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, because I mean, there's a lot to, it could go down a lot of directions with that, but... When I always say fascinating, I mean, like, an aspect of that fascination for me, you know, is certainly that coevolution that human beings had with with wolves and cooperative hunting and, and companionship and, and how that human relationship with, with a canine, it's in our DNA, you know, and so that, that kind of affection towards dogs and all that stuff is... Yeah, it's 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 interesting, kind of where, yeah, you know, especially as I'm thinking about it, the size of the Mexican wolf. It's a lot smaller. It's a really pretty wolf. Mm-hmm. Like from I've never seen one in person, but I've you know the the images that I've seen, they're beautiful. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and more dog size. You say German Shepherd size. Yeah, of of a wolf. Um, but yeah, they're just really beautiful. I just would think that somebody out there would be thinking the same thing. I'm thinking like, oh, it'd be really cool to have one of those. Yeah, you know, kind yeah, of, kind of thing. But but no. Yeah, 
<laughs> not a good idea. Not a good idea. From a biological perspective. Yeah, let's put that out there. It's definitely not a good idea. And and, and uh, pretty illegal. And illegal. Yeah, yeah. And illegal. Yeah let's, yeah, let's put that cap on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so coyotes then, okay? Wolves, coyotes, dogs. Where does the coyote fit into this? Where Where are they between a wolf and a dog? Um. Yeah, coyotes. It's not your specialty, but no, I mean, but but where they fit in, I mean, they're they're another canine on on the landscape out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and coyotes are are interesting for for lots of reasons. I mean, um, they're they're, I think, I mean, witty is certainly a way to describe them, and they're so persecuted. They've had such a long history of of interacting with people and and avoiding uh, getting shot at and trapped and things like that I, I i look at the coyote with a lot of respect even though it's kind of just this it can be seen as this you know overpopulated needs to go killing my chickens and all that stuff um the persecution that they've endured over <laughs> the amount of time is is like i think it's it's neat it's like they've gotten smart and mm-hmm. you can tell a, a coyote that's been around a lot of people and, and how, how they behave and they just, they're, they're out of there. Um, but how they fit in, uh, yeah, they, they, they kind of operate around Mexican wolves down here. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexican wolves, you know, they'll, they'll go after coyotes and if they get them, they'll, they'll kill them and they, you know, it's just, part of them maintaining their, their packs territory. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're competition. Um, and yeah, they're just another, just like gray Fox, just another canine out, out in the, the landscape doing, doing what they do. But yeah, coyotes have, have just, a um, a very, they've established themselves well in, mm-hmm. All, a lot of ecosystems, you know, urban, you know, we're getting a lot of cool information coming out of like New York City and Chicago and these urban coyote projects that are really examining how general coyotes can be and can move through an area and, and things like that. Um, so they're they're a little bolder than, than Mexican wolves, but um, mm-hmm. ecologically they're kind of like at least out – Say in the heel, they're kind of trying to do the same thing a wolf is doing. Yeah, I see. So competition for food, basically, too. They they coyotes will kill like <clears throat> like small what smaller deer and stuff too. Or yeah, yeah, they can get they, coyote wouldn't kill or would would attack like a smaller elk. Would can't obviously can't kill a big bull, right? And they don't coyotes don't travel in packs, do they? Or they do. They do. Yeah, they, pairs mostly. Pairs. Okay. Yeah. Not like big seven packs of seven, you know, things like that. But pairs mostly, and they'll cooperatively fuse and distribute and kind of things like that when when it's beneficial to them. I see. Yeah. Um, in comparison to the pairs, the uh, like a normal quote pack of wolves would be like what, like four or five, or yeah, something like that something for like Mexican that. wolves down here. Yeah, and they're, Mexican wolves are they're they're not solitary, right? They always, usually, for the most part, are in packs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're singles, but um, they just haven't haven't found a 
a home with with other wolves yet. I see. They they need that kind of cooperation for their success. I see. Why do you think coyotes are so kind of persecuted and such a nuisance in comparison to the wolf? They're just so kind of, in a way, revered or like respected. I know you say you respect the coyotes, but I mean, you can you can shoot coyotes here and nobody really blinks an eye, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. is it because there's so many of them or it's, they're not as cute? Like what's that all about? I don't know. I, I, I think the attention on wolves and, and their recovery is, is, you know, certainly its own, its own game. And um, yeah, with the coyotes, I think that there, there are so many of them. Oh, I see. Um, and there, you know, there's, removal programs because they, they can be, they can be a lot of pressure on, on, on livestock producers and, and folks out there, um, making a living out of, out of, uh, you know, cattle and things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, like maybe I'm saying the same thing again there. I just, I think it's how it's interesting how persecuted they, they are just like, I don't know. I've seen the difference between, I'll just call it like like a naive wolf that is maybe maybe it's like a yearling, so it's like a year and a half old, um, hasn't really hasn't really been around a ton of people, hasn't been shot at, hasn't been pursued with traps, and uh, you know hasn't had that kind of pressure. Whereas like, I think the frequency at which coyotes interact with people because of how many there there are and mm-hmm. then they kind of have that learned behavior of like if you even see you know like a headlight from a truck or something at night like go yeah you know or if you hear the car door close like you better be you better be on your way so i've seen like uh i've seen coyotes run from me as if you know i like i want to kill them Oh, I see. And I've They're seen, smart, yeah. Yeah, and I've seen the wolf kind of like look at you and be like, oh, it's good to see you down there. I don't have not interacted with you people much. What are you doing? Yeah. So, <laughs> and then there's, a, you know, it goes both ways. Naive coyote that's younger versus like an old wolf that's just tucked back in the Gila wilderness somewhere and no need to worry about people, but they, you know, know how to stay away from threats and things. So, yeah. Um, have you heard, just because the, the, they're, it sounds like they have like an acute kind of survival mode or survival mechanism. Have you heard, uh, I've heard that um, when a coyote, and this, I could be wrong in this, but that when a coyote calls and doesn't get back, like a certain amount of calls or the calls that they normally get, that something happens, whether it's hormonal or... And it's kind of their breeding cycle to where they'll produce more pups if they don't get back the, the normal calls that they get. Does that does that make sense, or have you ever heard anything like that before? I haven't heard it in regard to like, yeah, if if they're if they're trying to communicate and they're not they're not getting in touch with any other coyotes. I haven't. I don't. I'm not real sure about like what hormonal response that that elicits but i i know there's some conversation around like um yeah like them having compensatory letters like based off of like environmental pressures and things like that um 
and they can they can I believe coyotes are capable of having multiple litters throughout the year. I see. I'm not entirely I should know that better, but um yeah, I think that that breeding period is is uh more frequent for coyotes where yeah, they could just get they more can, pressure. Yeah, they could have more pups. Not like the wolf, though. That's completely separate, like different. You haven't heard that about the wolves. No, and, and, and it's, yeah. I mean, like coyotes and wolves aren't really, really that different. They're different species, sure. Mm-hmm. Behaviorally, and, and they're kind of like what they do throughout the year, um, it's very similar. Prey, mm-hmm. when they reproduce, they want to split from their natal pack or natal territory. Mm-hmm. They want to find a mate, and they want to reproduce. Um, so, yeah. I, again, don't quote me on the the coyote thing. I, I'm a wolf biologist. I'm not sure. a coyote biologist. <laughs> sure. But I, I, like the similarities that they have are yeah are pretty pretty close. Um, but yeah, no. With the wolf, uh, one time a year, spring. Okay. Got one it. litter. Yeah. Age can kind of influence their litter size so like an old female might have a smaller litter because it's just less expensive biologically Mm. you know to her versus like a female two-year-old three-year-old in her prime or something like that it's well taken care of got a good territory with elk and things and all that around um i think that this past year we had a a female that had nine pups Ooh, that's that's Big, yeah, right? it was a big pack. Okay, a big litter, but mortality rates within the litter are about fifty percent. Really? Yeah, that's so, just uh, like just dying off on their own, or just yeah. survival. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, dying off on their own. It's usually about like uh, within eight weeks. Mm-hmm. I think it's something like if you make it, if they make it to about eight, ten, twelve weeks. Of course, that mortality risk starts to to calve off there, but it's within those first kind of eight weeks that that mortality is pretty high for them. I see. What do you see prey on them, like lions and bears and that? I haven't heard as much with lions, um, <clears throat> but yeah, wolves will will den um, pretty pretty solitary spots. We've always kind of joke on the interagency field team, which is what we as the multiple agencies on the wolf recovery program call ourselves. So I work closely with fish and wildlife and we, we joke out there when we're going to visit dens, like they pick these million dollar views that are just like up in this Canyon and like, oh, that's cool. you know, like it's great. But, um, so they typically will have, you know, either like dug within a, a root system, a nice hole for their den. Uh, it goes back pretty far a rock outcrop, they'll kind of excavate that some more. Um, so all of that to say, like, yeah, they, they have these remote spots for their, their dens, and it is it is a target for, for bears. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I – we don't really have a good way to, to tell with a lot of certainty, like, you know, how many bears, for instance, are – catching a female out of the den and just coming in and and moving through a whole litter of pups. Um, but it'd be an interesting thing to kind of, I don't know how we would 
trail cameras might might tease that out some. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, with that failure rate or that mortality rate within a litter, you know, you could say, well, we went and visited this den, we saw nine pups, and now there's there's none. Could be, you know, distemper or parvo or something like that. That's that knocks them down, or it could be could be bears. But uh, yeah, not a lot. Not a lot's going after the. What, do you, what, did you, what did you mean by that? Distemper or parvo? Yeah, distemper and parvo virus are just, are these, are, um, are issues that wolves can run into that are, distemper is, um, I believe it's a back, uh, should know what that is too. It, it can just, it's very communal and it's, uh, in the way that it can be transmitted between individuals and can be fatal to, to pups, mm-hmm. things like that. So, Parvo, same thing. Like yeah, it's basically a, a, a disease. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see. Similar to rabies, but oh, okay. different. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I I uh, had a solo. We discussed this a little bit. My my uh, my somber mule deer hunt. Um, that, somber mule deer. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, didn't materialize into a, the the big trophy mule deer buck that I had envisioned. Yeah. But it was a solo effort, and uh, for somebody who's out there, like you know, you know, backpacking like in the back countries, you know, and here's a, a wolf cut off in the distance and stuff. Should they be scared? I mean, let's. I'm just, you know, just being honest. Like when you hear wolves out there, they're just talking, or they talking about you, or like, yeah, <laughs> like look at that guy who didn't get a didn't get a deer they're laughing at you like look at this guy look at this guy no no and all honestly you shouldn't be scared i mean it certainly elicits that i'm out here this is the wilderness you know i should be like totally unbiased here but like it should be appreciated it's kind of a a neat thing to hear but it is actually yeah yeah, they're they're just communicating with each other Mm -hmm. they're wolves are very very afraid of humans Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a lot for them to come in, and you know they're not they're not trying to to eat you in your sleeping bag. Um, don't quote me on this, but I, I think like the last wolf death was in like the seventies in Alaska or something like that, and this guy was like out there um, in a in a rough way. But yeah, like the the. The fear that people should have for wolves should be healthy. It should be kind of more of like a respect thing than a, than a fear. Um, but they're going to do everything they can. When you're out camping or hunting, you know, around your campfire, they're going to do what they can to, to avoid you. Mm. Now there's things that would attract them just like a bear would be attracted to your camp. But, you know, they're the I guess maybe the difference between how bold a bear is to exploit, you know, a jar of peanut butter in your camp or something is wildly different than like a wolf that, you know, just would do the same thing. But if you had, you know, like dogs around, little dogs and and stuff like that, or, um, yeah, I mean, it's the whole argument with, with cattle calves young calves when producers are calving that's a vulnerable time for them and things like that but uh, what about like yeah. deer elk hanging there or like if you're hunting with horses or or mules or anything like that should you be 
more scared of like a, a lion or a bear coming into your camp or a wolf is like this should be like kind of like the last thing on your mind? I would personally be, again, totally unbiased here, but um, I would be more concerned about a bear or a lion interacting with them um, than a wolf. You know, I, and certainly there's outliers of people's accounts of like running into wolves on horseback and their horses getting spooked and things like that. But sure, they do occur. They probably have come through hunters' camps and fed on some scraps and stuff. But I think generally speaking, they're, they want to stay away from, mm-hmm. from people. Like talking about coyotes being persecuted and learning that there's a lot of threat around being too curious um, I, that applies to, to wolves a lot too. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that, that I'd like to think that that difference between bears and lions are pretty solitary. Wolves are not, you know, so that opportunity to, to have that learned kind of behavior of bad idea coming around people. Like, I think that's a, a bit better understood within canines in general sure sure um uh just sounds like they're smart <laughs> yeah like they're, the, they're yeah especially when you're trying to find them and you think you're smart yeah you don't feel very smart after like striking out and it's that's very regular that i feel that <laughs> that that challenge from them trapping too i hear trapping if they even smell like a human on the trap or anything like that they're out of there is that true is it they're that smart yeah, they're, I mean, again, ties into like that cautious nature and they want to stay away. But uh, yeah, we, we take pretty great lengths when trapping to protect our sets, our trapping sets we use. Mm-hmm. Um, and just our scent. We take a lot, you know, we do a lot to try and try and manage that. Because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a crafty you know, critter out there that's, it lives by its nose. It's, it's smelling, driving itself all over the place. And then suddenly there's a, there's a new, you know, eyesore, nose sore of a thing that's along their regular route. You could, you know, it could be that you, you make that too stinky or it smells too much like you and, and you're, you blow them out of there. Cause they're like, no way I'm, Mom's been in one of those things before, and like I, just, you know, like I'm not getting anything, getting anywhere near that, that yeah. kind of thing. So she's, it's it's a challenge. She's told us about this before. Yeah, right? it's wearing. <laughs> she's wearing this big necklace on her on her head, and we I think that going to check that out means that. It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. We like to think that they're that smart, but some of them. I mean, some of them are kind of they're, they're curious too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like by nature, they're curious. So. Puppies and yearlings that have it, you know, you put, find a, a trail or a road or something that they're running and you see their tracks and um, you put something in there and just, if you know how to pique their curiosity, it's going to be hard for them to resist coming in and checking that out. And, and that's, that's another, just one aspect of the challenge of, of them that kind of uh, stands out with managing wolves in general, but the whole trapping getting, you know, somebody went to the way that just stands out to me. The, the best way is like, you got a, an animal that has 150 square mile range and you're trying to get it to step in this, you know, the size of like a one inch 
circle. Yeah, and how you, you know, how you don't blow them out of there by being too loud with your scent and, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's a that's, neat challenge. Yeah. It's, it's a big challenge. Sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah. 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 Are you, do you hunt? Mm-hmm. You do? Um, just everything or? Yeah. Yeah. At this point now, like, yeah. Talking about not getting a deer. <laughs> I, I recently had an elk hunt in 21A for a mature bull. It's actually the first tag I've ever pulled. Um, happened to be a mature bull elk. Oh. Yeah, that was later in October. And, um, yeah, we were talking about it before the podcast started, but just the way people say it and couldn't couldn't get it to come together. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm having not gotten the elk now, I'm just kind of geared up for, like, well, I want <laughs> I want something. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's a similar uh, situation with me this year. I... Uh, you know, I, I did a couple solo episodes about that, and um, yeah, it was an experience. You know, mm-hmm. coming from uh, a very uh, productive uh, landscape like Hawaii with axis deer and pig and stuff like that, and just being, uh, just almost never being skunked. It's like you can always go up in the mountains and get your meat. Yeah. <clears throat> Here, it's like you know, you get your tag, you get a certain amount of days, you better make it count, type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And then I'm sure just like you, you get a mature bull tag, you put a lot of time into it and you scout and, <laughs> and then that last day comes and you're like, what happened? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, you're seeing last day people with like nice bulls in the back of their pickups rolling out of your spot and like you kind of just want to say good job, but you're, you know, yeah. it's it's a fun atmosphere to, to exist in, you know, it's like you you have some jealous thoughts and oh, I wish that could have been me. But at the same time, it's kind of this just unspoken realization of like, Oh, we're, we're out here trying to accomplish the same thing. And that's just a cool feeling to, to yeah. exist around out there and stuff. So even though it didn't work out with, with that hunt, like sure it stung for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but now it stings. Yeah. yeah. It stings pretty bad there for the first little <laughs> bit. And now I'm kind of like, that's hunting. Yeah, you shake it off. Just shake it it off. Yeah, it's really cool though because it makes you kind of it makes you realize how much you love it. I think. Yeah. It doesn't feel good at first though. It's like, damn, you know, and then you, you know, all that time and effort and yeah, you know, well, people and and friends that show up for you, you know, it's a big investment. People are taking off work or traveling for a long way and heck yeah. You know, you're trying to accommodate and like, I got it. I got everything together here. Well, you might not have everything together and then last day and it doesn't, doesn't come together. Yeah. You feel, you feel a little bad for it for a second there, but, um, did you see anything? Mm-hmm. Did you, you saw, you saw bulls and yeah, I, was, I think we saw about mm, like six, six bulls, which I'm sure listeners would be like, how do you see six bulls and not get one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It is tricky. I mean, yeah, there's one, like, I guess one of the two closest opportunities to, to shoot. I was actually looking at a group of cows. We were up on a spot after seeing a group move into some thick pinion juniper. They kind of dissolved into that site picture, whatever, you know, they dissolved into those trees around like mid morning, late morning. We thought, well, where we're sitting at now is a good enough spot where we've been seeing bulls this way and that way. And maybe it's a good idea to move over closer to where we saw that herd 
kind of disappear in there, but we and then we could still see out all the other areas previously that we were seeing bulls. And so that was a good idea. We moved over there and just kind of got, I don't know, maybe four or five, uh, day three. Yeah, it was day three. Um, and just sitting there kind of midday, everything's hot, things are bedded down, nothing's going on, so we're feeling that too. And anyway, coming around like five o'clock, um, we see that group getting up out of there. And it would have been perfect, Jason. It was like the road was down below us, and they were on the adjacent slope. Like it would have been a hundred yard walk to the truck if we caught something. Oh no! And so anyway, I moved down there um, after seeing some bulls coming out, thinking they were gonna start to filter down into the flats. And um, I got in there and just happened to be where I was laying. Uh, I could only see the bottom half of the elk that I was looking at. And I was laying down, just trying to see him. And I was hearing this. It was a cow making a very bull-like noise. Um, it was chuffing in kind of a in an interesting way. So that was, was feeling that kind of like yeah. pressure, you know. And I moved over. And um, anyway, was just looking at... Like, come to find out there was just cows right there mm-hmm. and they they got on to me and they were staring at me and making noises and like, uh, woofing like, yeah I'm doing all the noises and stuff and <laughs> on the way in I saw a spike kind of moving uphill I thought okay well these cows got my number here so I squirmed back behind some tree and got up and moved back and like went left to go and find that just think you know maybe there's something over there by that by that spike and uh never did see it those cows kept on making that noise and i went back to my buddy and he was like you didn't see that three by four over there to the right and i said no i went to the left and was going after this spike over there and he said well, everyone knows you've always got to go to the right yeah so it was like if i had just gone that way things could have turned out different but um oh man you know, you just got to find ways to laugh and learn about it. Yeah. Not being a super experienced hunter. I'm not a very experienced hunter. How long have you been hunting? Uh, Probably about, I've gone with others hunting. It's about 2015. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're similar to me yeah. in that. Yeah. Not very frequently either, but like now I'm just, I don't know if it's, if it's the new experience of having a tag, your own, your first tag, mm-hmm. and it not 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 coming together, now I'm just like, all right, uh, when is the next open anything? Like, yeah, let's go. You know, like look for you crawdads. Are, I'm you are in for the it. exact same atmosphere I'm you in know. right now. I'm like looking at Aldad. I'm looking yeah, at like dude, I'm looking get, at. Havelina. Yeah, let's figure something out. Yeah, you and I. <laughs> let's, let's get out there like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, when's like, is it? I'm, I'm serious. I was looking at out. I was asking a guy at work. I was like, you know, he goes, that's a tough hunt. I was like, you know, at this point, I don't care. Is it open? You know? Yeah, that's kind of where so, I'm at too. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I've had a lot of friends within the agency that I uh, have been successful. Great for them. Very happy for you all. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, couldn't you? Couldn't you share? You had a deer, a, <laughs> a, a 
elk <laughs> and ibex yeah like can you oh man ibex <laughs> oh. yeah and i i even purchased the uh, the bear tag i mean it's probably late in the season now. i don't know if they've gone into hibernation or not cuz it's been so cold but i i purchased a bear tag did my cougar um quiz and i was going to purchase a cougar tag too but I'd be lost on where. I mean, I know they're everywhere, but they're just so difficult to find without like hounds and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, that's a challenge. Yeah, so I'm still open. I'm still open to like looking at what's next. But yeah, been working such a lot lately, but I need to get back out there. So, yeah. yeah, same. Yeah, I actually went out. I had some trail cameras out uh, in 16C adjacent to 21A where I was hunting, and I you know, finished the hunt, went back home, kind of like, uh, brush it off. Yeah. And one day after the hunt, I was like, I'll go up there and fetch them cameras and just get out. Are you familiar with that on how to get to 21A or at least no. one way of coming from truth or consequences? Mm-hmm. Taking that highway 50, excuse me, 52 out of Winston and then going 59 and it's paved all the way through there, and you go through the Black Range. It's it's really cool. There's there's wolves in there, um, so I was you know of course going to get my trail cameras I had out for wolves, and I had to pass through 21A on the way to 16C, and I said I'm not even going to look left or right for any elk. Like I just <laughs> want to get through this unit. I want to go get my cameras. I don't want to see any elk in 16C. I don't want to see any elk. <laughs> I just want to get back home. And I didn't on the way out there. I was just like, you know, laughing at myself doing that. But going through that footage on those cameras. Oh, no. Huge bull elk. Just like I couldn't walk slow enough past the camera. Oh, man. Almost like it wanted to just like turn around and be like, were you looking for me? Because I was thinking of going to 21A. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, oh man, that's terrible. Crazy. I'd feel the same way if I was to drive through five B right now. I wouldn't even want I'd be looking straight at the <laughs> asphalt. <know? laughs> yeah. I don't even want to see a deer in there. Oh man, it was a nightmare. I don't say a nightmare, but it was just like I just think back now. Golly. Yeah. But, that's fun when it comes together, not to get too oh, yeah. pause on that. I I went in May, I did a you're talking about bear hunting. Um a buddy of mine and um He's in Reno. He works for Nevada Department of Wildlife. Shout out to Lance. Um, he had a successful bear hunt that I went on with him in May up in northeastern Oregon. Mm-hmm. Man, that was that was cool. Oh, ten, cool. Ten days, you know, nice pace that we set. It was go, you know, light and way back into the. Uh, we were in the Eagle Cap Wilderness in the Wallowa Whitman national forest up there and um such an obscure place to go for both of us he likes oregon quite a bit for for its hunting um but yeah last day got a got a bear and um yeah that's cool it was it was it was great did you have any of the meat yet have how how was it good uh, it's spring bear, you know, and I've heard a lot of people that have had more experience with bear, you know, way in fall bear when it's fattier than mm-hmm. over spring bear when it's leaner. Um, I won't say it was, it wasn't bad. It doesn't have a ton of flavor to, oh, okay. to me. I mean, it's not like, I don't know, 
it's it's not bland, but um, I thought it was interesting. Him and I are, you know, obviously both wildlife people, and we were noticing that the bear we were seeing, they were grazing on these little wild onions. Oh, interesting. Like wild onions all in these, like, big, big, wide-open hillsides within these, uh, it was like canyon, creek down the bottom, and then hillside, you know, these big open hillsides um, on either side. And it was just, that was the layout of everything there. So you could, you could glass for miles and walk a ridgeline and, and be pretty, pretty, pretty on to them. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I kind of thought that it, it had this sort of tinge of that wild onion mm. flavor to it. Real plain. Um, but just like the meat seemed like you could, you'd have to really season it if you wanted to, to Interesting. You know, like liven it up a little bit. So, yeah, I heard that they take on what, it, of course, what they're eating. The the berry bears, I hear the ones like the blueberry bears, and yeah, I have heard that too. Yeah, and then the ones that, of course, the ones that are eating fish are supposedly like um, borderline just just not good table fare at all. Oh, really? That's what I've heard. The fish ones, yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they, yeah, it's just like rotten, rotten fish. They say. I mean, that's what that's what I've heard. Yeah. But man, I can't wait to get my first bear. Yeah. I just can't wait. Um. <clears throat> so, oh, that's so cool. That's cool that you hunt, man. You're kind of late onset like me. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, does you're you're, you're married, right? I'm not. Oh, okay. Does, uh, just me. Oh, just you. Okay. So no fam, no family or anything or. Uh, Nobody, girlfriend, or? nobody out here. No, my family's all all back east, and so I, I still, I don't know. A lot of people in wildlife probably maintain their black sheep of the family weirdo. Like, what are you doing out in their status? Yeah. So I, I uh, you guys float around quite a bit. Yeah, pretty, especially in the beginning, right? Pretty, like, yeah, pretty nomadic dirtbags for yeah. sure. <laughs> That's what I've always called. I've got a, I've got a lot, a lot of history with whitewater rafting and that kind of transient nature of chasing the right river right time of year is <laughs> i think it it set me up well to do seasonal wildlife and it takes a lot i mean it's it's you know uprooting and going and planting and uprooting and going and yeah being all over is is it's quite a journey um so i'm glad to be still for a little bit yeah that's yeah. cool yeah I've, I've noticed that i mean i'm spending more time around wildlife biologists now that um i've noticed they're akin to like climbers and surfers mm-hmm. and you know, fishermen and hunters and yep. like you know what i mean that's they, they've got that kind of nomadic outside lifestyle that they'd almost rather be outside somewhere even alone than around i don't say around people but they'd rather i mean a surfer is out there by himself or herself yeah and a climber is usually out there you know climbing and yeah you know outside and yeah so i've just noticed that about especially again younger uh people who were earlier in their uh, wildlife biology career just kind of nomadic like you yeah. stated yeah and it's nice to see someone who's kind of found it or is kind of stable and found their place a little bit because i've I've, I've noticed that those people are pretty happy and so it's pretty yeah. cool man yeah, yeah like yeah, thanks it's 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 interesting it it certainly has a colorful journey <laughs> yeah yeah so. the reason why i asked you about the family stuff i always like to dig into family with with some of the wildlife biologists and how the how the outdoors and how hunting has kind of shaped their family life because i've seen this kind of um and I always, anybody who listens to any of the episodes will, there's a consistent theme there to where 
their their work kind of like overflows into like a kind of a wholesome for lack of a better word wholesome lifestyle if that makes sense it does yeah 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 and it's it's that's that's uh a good observation on your on you as an interview interviewer mm-hmm. to to be aware of those things and just ask it's it's appreciated you know it's like the wildlife world is is small and there's you know probably some unspoken things that we all understand about each other within within that but addressing you know like your your family and like where you're at you know and and kind of what uh, stability you know it's it's i want to say it's a trade-off but like you're saying most of the time i'd rather just be out you know camping looking for wolves or like seeing the elk or shooting or with the dog that i will hopefully get soon and you sound it, like me. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, like I've just I've had one out here, and it's just like, uh, it's such a cool. It's you and the dog. Yeah, and it's like it smells something, and not to get derailed, but a, a lot of a lot of the wolf people, a lot of people in wolf recovery or biologists, they have dogs, and you know, a lot of people in wildlife are, are pet people, and yeah, you know, chances are they're they're dogs, and. They've come out, you know, they come out on trap lines and we're talking a little briefly about kind of trapping wolves. It's interesting. I've, I've got a friend who I work with and she had an old dog and he would come out with her on trap lines and stuff like that. He'd go, you know, find something over in the corner and what is that? You know, it's a little neonate elk bone that just like you would never have seen that he was just chewing on and. Mm-hmm. He's walking the trail and pees on this one intersection, and it's like, what you, what brought you there? You know, and you go and take a closer look at where your dog got curious, and there's a wolf turd right there in that intersection. And so yeah. it's, uh, yeah, there's thing after thing after thing about why dogs are great, but mm-hmm. with with the wolf stuff in particular, it's that's kind of cool. That'd be cool. I wish you luck on finding the right one. Yeah, find thanks. The right bird dog or, or whatever dog you're looking for. Cause yeah. Because I'm right there in your your atmosphere with that. Um, I just don't have a place for him or her yet. I'd like yeah. to get two, actually, because I, I if I do, you know, because I'm out a lot. So if I do leave them al- or I don't want to leave my dog alone, I'd like my yeah. dog to have, like, a companion. Yeah. And I'd love a, I'd love those dogs or a companion on my hunts, not necessarily to to hunt with me, but to just be a companion on my hunt. You yeah. know, Rhodesian would be a good, you know, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good, you know, yeah. you might even just be able to let it loose on a on an elk or something, <laughs> <laughs> right? No, yeah, because they that. used to they used to take lions down. Yeah, you know? so. actually, a former biologist on the wolf program within the Fish and Wildlife Service, she had a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And she had it as a puppy. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, <laughs> I remember when she had when she had it, and I don't know how old it was, still a puppy. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm having to go to the next job. I said, I bet you $100 that when that dog is full grown, it's over 100 pounds. And uh, <laughs> she yeah. would like every now and then we'd catch up and stuff. She'd say, well, no, it's... It's ninety eight point three pounds. Like, you're not. You're not gonna win this battle. Like, okay. Well, give it a bite. You know, a bowl of food. And are you starving your dog? <laughs> yeah. How much do you want this thing to be under a hundred? But cool dog. Yeah. Huge dog. Smart, right? They're. I mean, from what I've seen, they're Hers smart. Was, well, 
No offense to it. Her dog was kind of dumb. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, okay. You know, okay. Probably should be smart, but. Yeah, you never know. They're, just like they all, they're all different. Yeah, but. just eating like soda cans and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah there <laughs> were some in this litter that I saw that didn't didn't seem like they were all with it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but man. Those are the ones you want, man. It's, it's <laughs> a way I've gotten my first dog. Uh, just like the one sitting over there in the corner. <laughs> You're coming with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The um I and what's another thing about this the litter that I went to go see the 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 guy uh that you know had the dogs and I was like, you know, I thought about breeding them with like a like a bird dog. Oh man, it was like blasphemy to talk to a breeder, to say that to a breeder. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize what I was saying, but yeah. It was like blasphemy. He's like, No, 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 this is easier. We're trying to preserve the the uh, I bet. Yeah. yeah, and I get it. Mm-hmm. But I've seen mutts that are just like I didn't say mutt, but crossbreeds that are like like super smart, like the mm-hmm. uh, like Catahoula. That's a I mean, that, isn't that like a mashup? The Catahoula is a mashup, or yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like a pig dog by origin, like a pig hunting dog in yeah. like the southeast, like Texas and Louisiana and stuff. But it's cool looking dog too. Yeah, yeah. cool looking dog had half a blue eye. Yeah, you know, a bunch of spots and stuff like that. So. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So I wish you luck on that one. Thanks, man. You too. Um, man, we didn't even get into any of the questions. I swear. Like we started on we we. No, where do you want to go? <laughs> we started on one, and then we. Um, all right. Let's see here. Well, we actually did. You know. You yeah. know. Tell me about your experience. We went there, and then uh, working with wolves, and how the Mexican wolf is different. That was. Um, where they concentrated, but we kind of touched on that. That's Arizona and New Mexico, kind mm-hmm. of that's south of 40, right? Yeah, yeah, south of 40. So I don't mean to interrupt you if you want to keep no, going through. No, but yeah, go as, for as it. far as, I don't know, maybe this is helpful. Uh, Concentration-wise, yeah, so we, they're within what's now called the Mexican Wolf Experimental Population Area. Um, and so that that is a boundary that is... At its northern extent, yeah, I forty. So they can be, they can be wherever um, south of Interstate forty. Mm-hmm. And the the reason for identifying that that boundary in the way that it's it's described as the experimental population area. So Mexican wolves um, being endangered uh, within the experimental population area, they, they have protections through the Endangered Species Act um, as a non-essential experimental population. Hmm. And so what that means is that there's, a, there's flexibility within their management um, that, would, that would not apply to them if they were outside of that boundary, if that hmm. makes sense. So they have full protection within this boundary um i'm sorry they 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 have full protection and within this boundary we as as managers of the wolf are allowed certain flexibility when when um making decisions around around wolves i see um i you had recently i saw in the news and i got an email um just i guess a blanket email to i guess anybody who uh subscribes to the game and fish that you had uh, a female that went north of i-40 is that correct recently yeah. mm-hmm. 
uh, can you speak on that and what happened with that and that wolf it once it does go outside of the range uh, this particular protected range that you're talking about they're still protected correct or not um yeah that's a that's a little bit of a, a delicate question I, I can I can't talk to any plan that we as game and fish have around that wolf or what we're exactly gonna do oh, okay generally speaking you know with with wolves that exit that boundary and mm -hmm. we're aware of them um, that flexibility of management goes away when they're north of that boundary so mm -hmm. they still have they there are fully protected species but we lose some of that flexibility if that makes sense so mm -hmm. the issue that comes up when wolves get outside of the experimental population is our ability to manage them becomes limited. I see. Um, so we, we tend to just, we want them to come back. I see. Yeah. Gotcha. And the reason why I mentioned that is I, I don't know too much about it. And I had a, uh, I was having dinner with a, with a buddy of mine and he was like, uh, he goes, I, and he told me about it. I was like, Oh yeah, I saw that on the, on my email. I didn't really read too much about it. I just kind of saw the headline that, yeah, she got out and whatever. And he goes, I think that wolf has gotten out before and they keep trying to bring it back. And you're like, why don't they just leave it alone and let it get out there or whatever? That's what, that's what he, the way he was saying or, yeah. or talking about it. And I, like I said, I, I don't know. And I, yeah, I don't know if you guys need to keep that under wraps as far as how you're going to manage that. But yeah, just the thought of that once they get outside of that, like how, um, I guess every situation might be different. Maybe I mean I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 situational for sure. sure. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, we're the the recovery plan for where wolves are at now exists within a boundary, mm -hmm. and so I guess an understanding of how that's progressed over time has been kind of phases that wolves have been tolerated so to speak so there's we're now in phase three which is north <clears throat> to the 40 and within to the south you know and things and um originally their reintroduction location was the blue range wilderness area in arizona that's that's a big area it's mm -hmm. not it's not as big as it is now sure but um i guess an understanding of where we're at is like we've grown, the population has grown and us as managers have learned to tolerate their growth with some control. So we're at a, we're still trying to control wolves, manage wolves. Um, but there's a, there's an amount of tolerance, I guess, is a way to think about it. It's mm -hmm. the way I try and communicate it sometimes. Like we, we as people might not be, fully ready to have have um wolves we're not you know north of 40 there's stipulations that we we need to address and and so on so uh, okay yeah without reading that email like you know i just not knowing when you do when we do get emails like that and you you put out an alert saying hey there's a wolf that's outside what 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 would you like the public to do just if we see it we call you and say hey the wolf's here you know, I've seen it. I saw it here. Blah blah blah. Obviously, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's <clears throat> helpful. Those alerts, I think, go out as as just that, like an alert. You know, it's it's uh, they're not gonna you know break into your car and and drive it off on you or anything <laughs> like that. But it's it's a, I think it's done as a courtesy to say, you know, if you if you're got pets in that area, if you live there and you got pets, maybe think about having them around you know close or you know you got whatever. It's it's kind of a, um, just a general FYI, I think, but it's helpful to to me, to us, you know, if somebody were to, to get, to see it out there wherever it was and take a picture, pictures are great. A lot of times when people say, I saw a wolf this one time, it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm glad, I'm glad you had that experience, but, uh, we're always seeking information about wolves from how many they were running with like does it look okay whatever so anytime somebody could snap a photo of that oh cool okay you know the wolf in the in the experimental population say in the gila or something like that um that's always good information it's always helpful but nice yeah one of the questions uh uh, was where they're they're concentrated i think you've already Mm. basically said that in the gila right sorry yeah i'm sorry i got kind of a tangent about you know the boundaries of Yes, they're concentrated mostly in the Gila National Forest. Mm. Um, majority of them being in New Mexico, and then over in Arizona, um, the Apache Sit Greaves National Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of their their side. But a lot on forests. They're private. They're they're all over. They they have big territories. Have huge forays. Um, so they they're a little bit of everywhere. Mm-hmm. Had a couple um, come up from Mexico down into the Pelencillos. Mm-hmm. Um, they were down there for a while. So, um, again, I, not to get too derailed, but I think generally speaking for wolves, it's it's a, it's an interesting time. Mm. Them, you know, appearing in Irving, California, there's a there's a pack in the Southern Sierras, which it's like how it, you know. People were only we were only thinking they were up north and kind of close to the border of Oregon, and they they surprise you. They travel a lot, and the more we're out there looking, the more we're, we're finding them. Mm-hmm. Do you do you collaborate at all with uh, the Mexican government to know like what they have down there as far as the Mexican wolf? Um, yeah, the the interagency field team does. Me, me as the field biologist, I don't so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but collaboration with Mexico, at least in regard to me, looks like some wolves came over from Mexico and now they're in New Mexico and and they're your that's it. Your, they're yours <laughs> to keep track of now. But uh-huh. at large, yeah, there's there's conversations with Mexico. Um, part of the recovery criteria uh, for wolves for Mexican wolves includes populations in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there's, there's discussion with, with them. Um, sometimes we'll have, we'll have wolves and send them to Mexico for the Mexican government to, to do their releases and, and manage their populations and things. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, uh, are they as vocal as any other? I mean, just as vocal or less vocal or more vocal than any other wolves, or just they're just wolves? 
just gonna, wolves. They're gonna howl like anybody else. Yeah, maybe okay. they're just gonna howl like any any other any other wolf would. What about uh, aggressiveness? Same thing as as far as character those kind of characteristics. Just as aggressive, less aggressive, about the same, or would you know within like the gradient of of those the three? Wolf. Yeah, the yeah. the gray wolf, or yeah, the the gray wolf, and then the the. I guess I keep calling it the Canadian wolf. Is that same thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Canis Canis lupus as the species, and then Mexican wolves has a subspecies. Mm-hmm. Then there's Canis rufus, which is the red wolf. Oh, red North wolf. Carolina. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, they're 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 not doing great, but oh. uh, they're an interesting kind of uh, recovery story attempt at a story, I guess. Or so rare and small population there. Yeah, yeah, mm. real rare. Um, isolated to it's uh, it's the Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge is where they are now. They've had attempts at at, at releases in the Smokies. Um, but they historically, the red wolf was native. They kind of talked about in these kind of invading waves that specialized and set up in certain areas earlier in the in the discussion. Red wolves are there's kind of some debate on on their origin, mm-hmm. um, being that they're identified as a species right now instead of a subspecies. Hmm. But historically, they were native to kind of that southeastern portion portion of the of the country. Hmm. Uh Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida. So they kinda had a they it's yeah, it's always interesting thinking about like how like what drove them to evolve in that in those areas and I don't know, there's lots of speculation and not to get too crazy on the red wolf, but kind of a longer legged, slimmer build of a wolf um and i always just thought about that as like maybe if they were down in the kind of swampier stuff which is where they are now in north carolina um just kind of that higher profile maybe helps them out in a certain way and they retain that but um Hmm. anyway um body size about the same as the gray wolf but just longer legs or no red wolf smaller smaller Coyote sized, really smaller yeah, than the like, smaller than the Mexican wolf. Yeah, like length kind of wise, coyote ish, and wow. then they're they're taller. This taller. Coyote. Oh wow! But their genetics are they're they're pretty poorly. Um, the red wolf genome is pretty poorly represented in their population. It's been pretty swamped by coyote oh, I see. interbreeding. So there's a lot of a lot of uh, heavy handed sort of management going on with the red wolf. I'm I trying see. to isolate red wolf to red wolf so they could breed things so hmm. um interesting yeah. well, they're all over there by themselves huh? mm-hmm. yeah so the mexican wolf can you get hybrids mexican and gray uh you can yeah you can um you see that the, those populations overlapping at all or like the, the what's the southern kind of uh a boundary that you've seen the gray wolves come down. Yeah. So Southern boundary with gray wolves. I mean, uh, that, that population over in the South Sierras, that's uh, still, you know, I wouldn't say it's the Southern, at least in comparison or adjacent to the Mexican wolf, the Southern boundary for gray wolves descending down is, is Colorado. Mm. 
I'm not sure where gray wolves are in Colorado. I know where they've done releases, but, uh, documented established packs that kind of, you know, frequent and have identified a territory Colorado. I think that's, that's relatively new for them. Um, but you know, that, that habitat and availability of travel corridors and stuff. I mean, if you just kind of zoom out and think about the connectivity of like the Sangre de Cristos into Colorado and then the mountain ranges that connect and join and stuff, uh, there's, there's potential that again, it's kind of an interesting time for wolves, you know, yeah, wolves are, you know, here in New Mexico, sure, but coming down from Colorado. So interbreeding, I, I'm not sure there's some discussion on, yeah, the gray wolves would come in and interbreed with the Mexican wolf. That wouldn't be good for the Mexican wolf, given its, you know, genetic isolation from, from gray wolves. And just all the criteria, genetically speaking, of, um, sorry, to back up a little bit, with, with the genetics of the Mexican wolf, uh, they they were recovered from a small number of individuals when they were basically exterminated in the states. The founding population was generated from Mexico, and that was seven individuals. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward to today, there is a lot of work done in captivity and, and in, on the landscape and the field to to diversify their genetics. And so what a gray, a great population of gray wolves coming down would do to, you know, like a Northern extent, say Mexican wolves were to be up North more and gray wolves were to be down South more and they were to start finding each other. There'd be issues with that genetic stuff. And then there's also some debate on like, would, would the gray wolf just kill the smaller competing Mexican wolf, kind of like a Mexican wolf would do to a coyote. Interesting. Like I can, okay. I can take you because I'm 40 pounds heavier. Yeah. Or, hey, but, you look kind of cute. Or, hey, you look kind of cute. Yeah. Could you know? go either way there. Interesting. Like, yeah, could go either way. yeah. I, I was camping and I um, I thought I heard a wolf, okay? Mm-hmm. And this northern, northern Mexico 5B area and uh, bordering the Hickoria. Okay. Part of it anyway, and then you know, then you got Colorado up there. Mm-hmm. And I told my friend that like he lives in Lindrith area, like in that northern area. I said, "Man, I swear I thought I heard a wolf last night." And he mm-hmm. goes, "You probably did." He goes, "I've heard wolves out here." I said, "Really? There's wolves here?" He's like, "He goes, yeah, I know I know a couple people that have seen them." Mm-hmm. And he said, "It's not very often, but we see them here." And and I said, so, so you, you think that's what I heard? And he's like, yeah, that's probably what you heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I, I alluded to that. Not, I'm not <laughs> giving any, you know, accurate uh, agency, you know, opinion here about that. But, I mean. Just, yeah, you're not, ge- you're not signing off on that. Speaking but for <laughs> the agency here to know. But yeah, generally speaking, they travel a lot. Yeah. And and we've seen that recently and 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 um they get into places where it's like I mean uh I've said this already about my interest in wolves, it's like 
when you say, oh, no, they're not going to get over there, they're going to get over there, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like it's, yeah. just, it's, uh, it's, it's, they, they, they disperse quite a bit and, uh, there's lots of drivers for why they do that. And as far as how, how far they'll go, you know, mm-hmm. there's stories that have already happened with wolves that have crossed states that OR six wolf that we were talking about before, mm-hmm. which I believe is still the right wolf. I'm sticking to it. It's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the distances they'll go and things. So, mm-hmm. I got a weird question for you. Do you do they? I've heard, I've heard a lot, <laughs> but I've heard again that um, they people have told me stories about they don't just. You would think that they just kill to eat, right? Right. But I've heard that they've killed just to kill. Is that true? Do, would they do that, or have you seen that before? Uh, I mean. It's it's like any other animal. If you ask if you're asking me, a predator would kill something so that it would eat. Like I don't know that there is a, a programmed behavior thing where it's like this this animal is just gonna kill for surplus and things like that. I mean. Um, I think there might be like multiple kills. A wolf might make multiple kills or frequent kills based off environmental drivers that might, might, you know, pack size or harsh conditions or like famine has been going on and things Mm. like that. Um, So biologically speaking, they, they would kill something to eat it. I see. And so, I'm not saying they haven't killed and then been bumped off, but you know, like I've, I've, I've seen, I've, I've heard like we saw a wolf kill an elk and then, and then it just ran off. And it's, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to really say one way or the other, maybe you scared it away or maybe you felt pressured or, or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just me not knowing. Eat. Yeah, just, and and from what somebody would say, that's what I would think because it seems naturally that the wolf is killing to eat, and because somebody might have been there, the wolf runs off, is going to revisit that prey later or whatever it is, or that kill later, and if it's multiple kills, I don't know, maybe it's a big pack. I have no idea. So just you know, wanting to run that by you and get your thoughts on sure. if you've seen that before, to where like, yeah, these this pack is just killing just to kill or. No, they kill because they eat. They're going to actually eat that. Yeah, I haven't seen it one way or the other, to be <clears throat> honest. Um, I, I've, I've heard, you know, I've, one wolf killed this elk and then it just never came back for it and and, and so on. And um, mm. But personally, I've, I've not seen it one way or the other. If it does happen, it sounds like possibly like something that's rare or... Um, something happened to make that wolf run away, I guess, maybe. Yeah, it could be pressure. I don't know. Bear could be nearby and it bumps the wolf off or something and you never saw the bear. Or, yeah. Or maybe it needed to go back and and find its pack mates to, to come help, you know, eat the calf that it killed by itself or something like that and ran off and you saw that and thought it's just leaving it there. But Gotcha. Could be the other way. Could be they were just bored and wanted to kill something but yeah. i don't think that they are they prefer to just 
surplus kill, but the frequency at which they would kill something would be directly related to do they need to eat. Right. Yeah. Um, I told a lot of people about our conversation or, or our hopeful conversation. And, um, and people were, there's a lot of people that are excited about it, especially this morning I was at the coffee shop and um, a couple of girls were like, oh, I can't wait to hear that. And so um, what would you tell, um, you know, I've asked my questions, like what I would want to know. I've got plenty more, obviously, but sure, you're, you're kind, this is kind of like a, you know, Kind of like a, I've captured a golden goose here, right? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm the golden goose? <laughs> In a way. Oh, cool, man. Because those girls at the coffee shop, they, I mean, they, I guess they could call you up and ask you questions, but um, what would you want the public to know? What would you want them to know? What would you want, like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do interact with the public, but probably not a ton, and you, you probably don't have this kind of, um, uh, maybe this stage to, like, you know, give people a lot of information a lot. So if you wanted to tell the public something about uh, Mexican wolves and what you do, what would you want to tell them? What would you want them to know? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think it, I, I tend to stay away from, and I'm not saying this is if I had the stage, but would the one thing be, I, I, I don't think convincing people one way or the other or trying to change people's minds about, about wolves to bring them closer to, to the middle or anything is something I, I would lean towards. Um, so I don't know what I would tell people. I think that, I think wolves are, are, an interesting part of of our development as humans and um, the way we talked about a little while ago of just our affection with dogs and where that stems from with with wolves and you know ancestral humans cooperating in that way. I I, I think that's interesting. Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of derailed on on how to answer that, but I would, I mean, I guess I tell people, like, know know that wolves are pretty a pretty interesting part of of the landscape out there, and being able to hear them and interact with them out on a hunting trip or while you're hiking or thinking you heard one howl or something, um, that's a that's a special experience that not a lot of people get to get to have and um you know don't don't make them pets it's something <laughs> i would tell people i mean if i had like a it was like the most important thing to get out there to them without you know a bunch of long-winded stuff <laughs> no, no, nope don't like get them don't come, pick up the puppies don't pick up the puppies it's not gonna go well for you or the wolf um yeah i just i mean have a healthy understanding and respect for for the wolf because um, yeah they represent a lot they're they're pretty persecuted and they're pretty controversial which is why, you know again why it took us a while to to get this conversation going um, but yeah 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You're going to see, I mean, in our future, I'm sure you're going to see whether it's our state, uh, state of New Mexico, Colorado, uh, Idaho, whatever, you're going to see wolves in the headlines. You're going to see controversy. You're going to see people who love wolves. You're going to see hunters that have uh, their take on it. Um, people who know nothing about about wolves as well. Um, from a layperson's point of view, from what I've learned, even being a hunter um, and having an open, uh, you know, uh, just a just a really um, kind of oh, just an open uh, kind of dialogue on both ends. I don't, I'm not one way or the other. Oh, you should be shooting wolves or you know, culling wolves or whatever. I think that all animals should have a fair shot as far as, you know, wildlife management, obviously, whether it's predators or not. And it seems to me like you're, you guys are doing a good job here from, from where I'm standing anyway. Um, but when you do see that in the news, just like I, I have to mention Washington because Washington's having like their issue with their commissioners and spring bear and, I mean, I, I can't really put my finger on exactly like what they're actually trying to do other than the fact that it's definitely changed over the last like couple of years as far as moving away from the traditional um, uh, what America, I think it's, what, what do you call it, the American wildlife model or the... the oh, the North American model of wildlife. Yeah, yeah exactly. Move, kind of moving more towards a, just conservation of of species it seems as a layperson takes like looks at that as a voter right mm-hmm. and you know you have the commission you have uh, the governor i guess who appoints the commission usually in most states from what i've seen from a layperson's point of view and you being a, a especially a wolf biologist when you go to vote and you um and you don't know anything about wildlife management, and you hear uh, people saying, "Hey, just leave the wildlife to themselves." There's, there's, there's really no need for hunting. And I've mentioned this before, on especially talking to Nicole, and she articulated it really well too. In your, in your own words, especially as like a late onset hunter and a, you know, a wolf biologist. What would you say to like somebody who know, really knows nothing about wildlife management and is trying to make a decision on when you hear something like, you know, hey, we need to, to leave the, the wildlife alone to let them manage themselves versus, you know, uh, a hunter's point of view in that, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really healthy uh, culture, like hunting culture is very, it's, uh, it goes back for I don't know how many years you know, and it's in our DNA. Yeah. And then you have that, those, I wouldn't honestly say polar opposites. If you knew more about what Washington is trying to do, if you were right in the middle and you're kind of, you know, I say listening to that argument, but you're in the middle and you needed to make a, like a voting choice and you needed to be just more educated on wildlife management what would you say? Do you, I mean, obviously you would, you know, I'm not going to speak for you, but obviously you work for wildlife management, so you think that's important. But how would you address, like, somebody who knows nothing about it? Like, what would you say to somebody who just knows nothing about wildlife management and the need for it? Yeah. 
Um, Does that make sense? It's kind of a long-winded, you know, uh, question, but it's more of like somebody who just knows nothing and you hear, because if I wasn't a hunter and I know I didn't know anything and somebody said, yeah, just leave the animals to themselves. They, they will manage themselves. You know, the, the predators will take care of the ungulates. There's no need for hunters to go out there and shoot any elk or deer. The wolves will take care of that. The bears, the lions and, and X, Y, Z. Right. Um, I've heard it. I've heard a descriptor of that explained in a way that stuck with me. And it was the, the most irresponsible thing that we as people can do for wildlife is fail to manage it. And that sounds like, you know, just some like a cereal box, like put that on a sticker somewhere and do that. But Mm -hmm. Where I go when I, the reason that's stuck with me and, and where I go when I think about that is like, you know, talking to somebody who, I wouldn't say I'm trying to convince them, but just giving them information about, you know, like a decision of if you're stuck on like, I'm not sure how wildlife is managed, but I think that leaving it alone and, and you know, don't touch it and, and just let it all work out. I don't know that that's a realistic approach to actually recovering or managing just sounds, it sounds um, heavy handed, but, but coexisting people and wildlife, given the state of, you know, where we're at with our development and cities are popping up everywhere and cars are flying and, all this stuff, like to me having to have a good understanding of what is needed for a population of deer to exist on the landscape that can tolerate X amount of pressure from humans. You need to be able to, we need to be able to understand what the needs are for for that to coexist. Maybe if we just left those animals alone, you know, they, they might, they, they could overpopulate or as a population, we, we could run into a ton of issues with them. Um, I'm struggling to think of any good idea or any good examples of um, something that we've just like failed to have a good grip on as, as those in the wildlife management field Mm. but to to allow a population to just go into some unmanaged surplus where they're prone to diseases let's just say and that disease becomes rampant throughout a local population of bighorn sheep or deer or whatever it would be and we have the ability to recognize that and act on it and intervening in that way is perhaps a responsibility that we have towards wildlife. And that kind of butts up into the hunting, the hunter culture and, and, um, you know, hunters have paved the way for a lot of wildlife conservation to even, even occur, but, you know, I think that responsibility where we're 
tapped into our our hunting nature and our evolution as as people um that is management of wildlife mm-hmm. hunting is a form of management and science occurs and drives harvest and you know incentives in certain areas and so on um so i i think that the carryover of already being involved with wildlife management in a hunting context kind of dovetails well into that responsibility that we have to to um, just do our best to fully understand the pressures that do and, and don't exist within whichever species it might be. And um, yeah, I, I think I could say that a few different types of ways, but uh, mm-hmm. I think generally speaking, we have a responsibility. I think there's it's irresponsible to not manage wildlife given where we're at as a society. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree at uh, just a basic level, knowing what I know, the limited knowledge that I know and like interacting with you and interacting with other wildlife biologists and being a hunter. So I get it that way. Um, and the reason for my uh, kind of alarm, I, I feel like I, I just kind of sounded the tiny little alarm um, because of what's happening. Some of the other podcasts I listen to specifically, I don't know if you know who Randy Newberg is, mm-hmm. but he has a Hunt Talk Radio. Yeah. He has a series right now going on with this whole thing going on in Washington. And um, it's scary because from what they're saying, the the, the way they articulate the thing that's happening in Washington is that that type of philosophy could spread to other states and um, I'll say all of a sudden demolish, you know, uh, our way of life as hunters. But it's, it's, it's almost like a, an introduction into that. And the reason why I feel like it's such a, uh, why certain people should at least, I don't say sound alarm, but at least be a little bit concerned is because as a rational thinker like myself, who, who just takes a step back and says, okay, let's say I wasn't a hunter and I didn't know anything about this. And I heard somebody say that, that, okay, leave the animals alone. They can manage themselves. And like I took, like I was talking to Nicole to me, if I didn't hunt, it almost would sound attractive to me. Right. I would be like, Hey, I don't hunt. And some, they said that they can actually manage themselves. Hmm. That sounds like something I would kind of maybe even vote on and say, yeah, let them, you know, not not thinking about it, not getting, because we all have our lives, right? I mean, you know, I'm a plumber and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I've got my family and I, you know, whatever. And I just hear about this, you know, this vote that comes up and says, hey, do you want man- the wildlife to manage themselves or do you want hunters to kill animals? I, and, I, and I'm not a hunter. I don't know anything about that. I go buy my ribeye from, you know, the grocery. Safeway or right. whatever, I'm more apt to be like, "Hey, yeah, it sounds more natural to just let the animals manage themselves." Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so, if you didn't know more, 
and me, I'm so like super duper passionate now, this late onset hunter just trying to catch up. <laughs> right. You know, I know why, because I've done my own research and I talk to you guys, right? And gals. And so I know the importance of it and I know how it makes me feel. And I know how like putting food on my table that like that I've I've harvested myself and all those all that awesome stuff that goes into it, like you articulated the money that we spent, the funding that goes into it. The average person wouldn't know that. Right. I don't think. Right. It's important to have, it's important to, to have those conversations. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you learn a lot and that's, that's why podcasts and discussions and just talking and having a conversation about, about that is, it's good. You know, like you'd otherwise, that person would otherwise not know the amount of, let's, yeah, let's just say funds that go into the conservation that hunters provide tags and licenses and and how that comes back into into wildlife conservation and, and you know it's 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 not like you're trying to change that person's mind but exposure to something that they might not be familiar with is the same as anything else right like just being able to share with them a take on something that they might otherwise have not not realized Right. I'm not getting them to hunt. I'm not trying to say, hey, come hunt. Yeah, you're yeah. not wrong because you don't do it this way. It's just right. there's another way that people do things, and, and it's just another way that people do things. Yeah. And I guess the scary the scary part of it for me is that I've been around enough hunters to know that they're just, a lot of them just aren't involved in it. They're like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to go hunting next Sunday anyway. Like, but, oh, yeah. but, but it could be taken away, and they're not really thinking about that you know sure does that make sense yeah so yeah. so yeah i wanted your take on that so thanks for at least sure you know, i hope it was for, helpful for yeah. putting in on that but we're at almost two and a half hours and man i think i've taken up enough of your time and it's dark outside now because of the time change so it happens you, like that man it's it, like i know all of a sudden five click your fingers and it's we're yeah, i know it's, it's only just after five i don't like wow. it are you you have to drive back to it's a yeah, 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 but that's nothing new. There's a lot of driving with, with biologists, so <laughs> yeah, and I got to drive back to Farmington, so I got yeah. three hours. But yeah. Nick, I can't thank you enough, man. It was a, it's a pleasure to actually meet you too. Like you're a cool guy. Like we talked before Oops. the podcast, and you seem like an awesome dude and relaxed. And I appreciate you, you know, putting up with my questions today. And I know just from how long it took for us to get here, how you know contentious and how. Uh, how just kind of controversial the, the topic is and, and and you're clearly familiar with that because you deal with it probably every day yeah and i don't know how many podcasts you've done or how how this just, is it this, this is it this is the only one this is the only one i've done I hope i did good man i you know i just never hey i never like heard myself <laughs> on a headset or you sound great yeah I yeah just hope it, hope yeah I, and then yeah thanks for having me and it was i hope we got some substance out of the out of the discussion and i and, think we uh, did i think it was great you know scratch a service i like exist in wolf world so i'm just like anytime us friends get together that are part of the wolf stuff all we do is talk about it so i'm like i don't even know if we're i'm hoping that we're actually having a good discussion here yeah i think like, this one wolf came out of you know you know just, no i think it's great all, all i really want people to know is like more about what you do and more about wolves. I mean, I'm asking the questions that I want to know. These are third, third grader questions. I always say, like, I just want to know more about wolves because I don't, 
I've yet to see a Mexican wolf in the wild. I mm-hmm. mean, and you 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 work with them, so yeah. I think it's I think it's awesome. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Hopefully, we'll get to do this again or some form of it, and um, hopefully, it doesn't take this long again. Oh, I'm glad. Well, oh, with the, with us meeting, not talking yet. I talk all day about stuff if you wanted, but. Yeah. Yeah. Six months later, here we are, man. (laughs) No, it's cool. It's cool. Actually, we've talked so much over the phone. It's actually really awesome to meet you. And uh, hey, man, thank you again. Thank you so much for doing this. And this 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 was great. This was great. Just like all the other ones, you guys have. This organization has been so so kind to me, starting with Oren and Travis and Nicole and yourself and. I don't think I'm missing anybody else. Did that I? sounds like the ones that I've heard you do. Yeah, Everybody. yeah. Everybody's been just amazing, and anyone else too. Like that, I've they've always returned my call and tried to get like you know. I, I don't know if I'll be doing one with pronghorn, but I, I think that would be interesting too. But we'll yeah, you know. But uh, talk to Tony about that. I saw him walk by when we were oh really when we were first starting. Like, oh okay, run him down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And if you know anybody else, I told Nicole that too. If you know anybody else who'd be interested in chatting about wildlife uh, here in New Mexico, I'm 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 all ears. Okay, thank you. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Thanks again. Appreciate the time. All right.